0: Well welcome everyone. Welcome to our first week of Desert Talks. Uh, Before we begin, I'd like to start in a prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Jesus, I ask that you be with us during this five weeks. Help us to grow in love in you, love of you, and to heal within our hearts, and to know how to help others heal as well. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I'm really excited for the great turnout today. Um, If you can't hear me in the back at all, feel free to raise your hand. Um, Or if you can't see something up here, just let me know. This week we have some housekeeping items before I begin uh, talking, but first of all I want to introduce myself. My name is Christina Krutza, and as you might have heard from my ministry minute in church at the end of September, I'm pretty new here. I've only been here for a couple months. Um, I studied theology at the the University of Notre Dame for both my bachelor's and master's degree. And my husband, Justin, lives in Maple Grove and is an engineer, which is why I moved here, because we got married two months ago. <laughs> um, but a few housekeeping things. First of all, I hope you all received the book "Loved As I Am by now. This book is the supplement to our Bible study. The Bible, of course, is gonna be the core of our readings, but I thought this was an excellent resource that really brought home the idea of healing to us here and now. And I think that as you read through it, there will probably be something that touches every one of you in the many ways that she needed healing in her life. So we started off with three chapters, but the rest of the time we have two weeks of two chapters, and then the last two weeks are just one chapter. So lest you think I was lying when I said there's not much reading, there really isn't. (laughs) Um, And then, of course, we'll we'll be using the Bible. We're starting off in Genesis and Exodus. Next week, we'll move to Hosea, and then we'll move to the Gospels from there. Finally, you may have noticed that I put the Catechism as an optional reading. And the reason I put that in there is that I want you to see where I'm getting what I'm talking about. And I don't actually expect you to read it. If you want to read it, great. If you don't, that's okay, too. Um, But I want you to know that what I'm teaching you is actually Catholic teaching, and that I've read through what the Church says, and uh, I'm not teaching you the Gospel of Christina. Um, This is what the Catholic Church actually teaches. Um, But for those who've never used the Catechism before, it's broken up and cited by paragraphs, not pages. And so when you see in your booklets that I've referred to a number, it's a paragraph number. And if you happen to have your catechism with you and you open it up, you'll see that there's the bold numbers in normal print. That's the actual paragraph number. No one actually taught me how to use this until college, so I used to get really confused about these numbers on the side. These italicized numbers are cross-references. So you can ignore those unless you want to go deeper but just follow along with these actual bold numbers. Um, The catechism is divided into four parts. The first part is on the creed. The second part is on the sacraments. And the third part is on the Christian life. So, morality. What does it take to be a Christian? The fourth part is on prayer. And I'll refer to various parts in the booklet. Again, I don't really expect you to read it. If you're taking this as a a light course without a lot of reading, go ahead, don't read it and don't feel guilty. But if you want to go deeper, it's there for you. Finally, I want to, oh, go ahead. No, yeah, mine looks like yours, but it's got the same title. Is it okay then? Uh, yours is okay, yes. Okay. Yours is a, an earlier edition than mine. Okay. The, yours is the first edition and I have the second edition. So there's a few differences, but it should be just fine. Um, so I made this booklet for us to keep us in order. If you opened it up, you can see there's a place for your name. Please do put your name in there so that if you ever forget it, I can get it back to you. And on the second page, there's the title or the, the scripture verse that inspired the name for this uh, course. It's, I will lead her into the desert and speak to her heart, which we'll talk about next week. If you go to the next page, there's a page on reading Scripture sensibly, which is my funny way of talking about the senses of Scripture. The church speaks about four different ways, four different senses to read Scripture. And I'd like you, when you're reading the Bible throughout these five weeks, to use these four senses. I broke it down really easily in the form of four questions. So, first, we always have to ask ourselves, what is the text literally saying? It can be a temptation to first ask ourselves, what does this mean to me? But we don't want to interpret the scripture solely for, I don't want to put my own self into the scripture, I want to take out of the scripture what it actually says. Which is why it's important to first ask the literal meaning. What's it literally saying? Second is a, is part of the spiritual sense. It's called allegorical, which means... How does this text point to God's plan of salvation through Jesus? The third spiritual sense is, What does this text teach about how to act morally and justly? And the fourth is, What does this text teach me about my eternal destiny and the end of time? So after we ask, What does it literally say? Then that's when we can can begin to ask, What does this mean for me? What does this mean for God's plan of salvation? And what does this mean about our eternal destiny? about the end of time, about heaven. And if you do that, if you first ask the literal and then you ask these spiritual questions, you'll get the most out of scripture. You could skip to just asking, reading it, and asking, what does this mean for, to me without talking about the literal? But if you do, it's kind of like eating dessert without dinner. It's good, you'll get something out of it, but you won't get the fullness of, of, this, of the meal. Any questions on that? OK, now you can flip pages. Week one will be familiar. It's the same text as on your purple sheet I gave you. But we also have small group questions. And I gave these to you so that you can reflect on them ahead of time. If you're anything like me, you need time to think before you talk. Um, and so this should help you prepare you for small groups. I, get, I don't like to be asked a question and immediately have to answer. So if you're like me, then you'll enjoy having them ahead of time. Finally, there's a note section every week. We'll, we'll pray with the scripture together and I'll tell you which passages we're praying with, which you can write down, and I'll explain a little bit more about this. And then there's a space for notes. And every week repeats. Um, I know that we have some... Um, members of other denominations joining us as well in our study so I I put down some common Catholic prayers so that we can all pray together and I found also some additional prayers that I think will enrich our study as well any questions on the booklet? okay so let's pray you can open up your Bibles to Exodus chapter 14 verse 10. Exodus chapter 14 verse 10. If you don't have a Bible don't worry um, I'll read it out loud. We all probably have slightly different translations and that's okay. the Bible was written, like, originally written in Hebrew or Greek, and there's different good ways to interpret the words, to translate them into English. And we, even as Catholics, we have different translations of the Bible, and if you read the different ones, then you can gain more from the text. So, Exodus chapter 14, verse 10. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Come, Holy Spirit. When Pharaoh drew near, the sons of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they were in great fear. And the sons of Israel cried out to the Lord, and they said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Let us alone, and let us serve the Egyptians." For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, Fear not and stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be still. The Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the sons of Israel to go forward. Lift up your rod and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, that the sons of Israel may go on dry land through the sea. Now you can ponder for a moment in your heart the literal meaning of the text, what it's saying. Think about what the Israelites might have felt like, what the scene could have looked like. Now I'm going to read it again. And this time when I read it, I want you to pick a word or phrase that stands out to you and then write it in your workbook after I um, finish reading. And if you want, you can close your eyes or you can read along. When Pharaoh drew near, The sons of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they were in great fear. And the sons of Israel cried out to the Lord, and they said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt Egypt, that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we have said to you in Egypt? Let us alone, and let us serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, you have only to be still. The Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the sons of Israel to go forward. Lift up your rod and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, that the sons of Israel may go on dry ground through the sea. Now you can write a word or phrase that might have stuck out to you. And if one didn't, then you could write a thought. Raise your hand if you need more time. In the name of the Father, and the Son, it's the Holy Spirit. Amen. So, what I just took you through was a very simple form of what we call Lexio Divina, which is divine reading. And in other weeks, I'll actually ask you to share your word or phrase. This week, I'm going to give you time to ease in, um, but in other weeks, when I don't have to do so much um, intro, uh, be prepared. I might ask you to share and I won't call on you randomly uh, only if you raise your hand, but um, I found that when you when, in the classes I've been in that have prayed with scripture first it always is more powerful And so that's why I wanted to pray with you first Okay Let's dive in as I mentioned when I talked in church um, at the end of Mass one week, the idea for this Bible study came when I was praying about what well, Chuck asked me what to do a Bible study, and I was praying about the topic. And being brand new to St. Vincent de Paul, the San Damiano Crucifix really caught my eye. The size of it and the beauty of it is very unique. And I thought to myself uh, the story of St. Francis and how our Lord... If talked to St. Francis from the San Damiano crucifix and said, Francis, go and rebuild my church, which is falling into ruin." And St. Francis took him literally at, at first and literally rebuilt an old church that was falling into ruin. But that's not what God meant. What God meant was that he wanted St. Francis to rebuild the church, the entire church, the people of God, because they were falling into ruin. And we, too, here and now, are much like St. Francis in his time, where our Lord is asking us to go rebuild my church. And I mean this in every sense of the word, to, re- to rebuild the church in its universalness, to rebuild the people of God. But this always has to start first in our own hearts, to rebuild, to let God to rebuild our own selves. And so, the idea for healing came to mind. It's often the case that the turning point of a story rests on the main char- character rediscovering himself. And this is the case in The Lion King. Now, I know the new one came out, but I like the cartoon original a lot, and I thought you might too. So, in the, this story, in case you haven't seen it, the main character, Simba, runs from his duty to be the king of the jungle because his father, Mufasa, dies and his uncle, Scar, blames Simba for it and says, it's your fault. And so Simba runs away from his duty to be the king of the jungle. And he has fun in the jungle with Timon and Pumbaa. They have a lot of laughs, they sing Hakuna Matata, Um, but eventually his friend Nala finds him. And Nala reminds him of his identity, and she's ashamed in him because he's chosen not to live in the way that he was created to be. And so this strikes the inner wound inside Simba, and sends him on a quest to rediscover who he is. So eventually, Simba finds Rafiki, who ends up being kind of a mentor for him, and he eventually overthrows Scar, his evil uncle, and reclaims the throne. It is then that we can see in the movie that the land goes from being desolate to being washed clean by the rains, and then it buds again and there's new life at Pride Rock because Simba has reclaimed his identity. We too, like Simba, forget who we really are. I'm reminded of a quote from John Paul II to the people of Poland during the communist occupation when they tried to stamp out the faith of Poland. But John Paul II visited and he said to the people there, including these people in Victory Square at Warsaw, who thought that they were alone in this fight and suddenly the Pope comes and they realize there are thousands upon thousands of Catholics who don't want communism there and who still have the faith. But anyways, John Paul II says, you are not who they say you are. Let me remind you who you really are. And that's essentially what God is saying to us throughout the Bible. He says to us in the Bible, you are not who the devil says you are. Let me remind you who you really are. And that's the plan of salvation. Adam and Eve, first and foremost, knew themselves as the beloved of God before their trust faltered and they fell. The devil put doubt in God's goodness And he made them forget for that second who they were as beloved, and they also made them doubt God's identity, too, as their ever-loving father. This, just, just like all other great stories in which the character forgets their identity, is a tragedy. So in other words, the first wound or original sin places doubt in Adam and Eve's minds that they are perfectly loved by God, and we have this wound, too. This reality is the very reason we sin, and we doubt our worthiness. It's why woundedness can remain with us for years. If we can reclaim our identity as beloved and known by him who is greater than all else, we have taken this fundamental step in healing. Let me say it again. The first step in healing is to recognize that my fundamental identity is one who is loved and known. In this form of being known, is not simply as a good acquaintance. No. Rather, the Bible is a love story in which God weds himself to his people. To be known in the Bible is to be known in the most intimate way possible. We can think of the book of Jeremiah, which says, you know my inmost parts. We all want to be known. And as Sister Miriam puts it, true intimacy is found in knowing and being known by the other, And this longing for intimacy is written in the fiber of our hearts, souls, and bodies. This is the intimacy Adam and Eve were privileged to have with God in the Garden of Eden. And this is the intimacy we desire, the intimacy we were created for, whether we knew it or not. So when the devil plagues us with doubts such as, am I enough? Am I too much? Am I too broken to be healed? Would anyone like me if they knew who I really was? what goes on in my mind. It's then that you can say, with Sister Miriam, with God, get behind me Satan, for I am the beloved of God. You are enough, you are, as Sister Miriam says, loved as I am. One of my favorite stories from our current chapter of Sister Miriam's book is a story where she's a little girl and her mom buys her a watch for her birthday. And then her mom changes her mind and decides that instead of picking out what her daughter might want, she's going to take her daughter to the store instead. It's then that Sister Miriam picks out the same watch her mom bought for her. And she exclaims how delightful it is to be known by someone. God knows us like that. He knows the most minute details about us, even... a. <laughs> I don't know, even among hundreds of thousands of watches, he would know which one he would pick. How delightful it is to be known by God. As St. Augustine is famous for saying, God is nearer to me than I am to myself. Or as another translation puts it, God is more intimate to me than I am to myself. This is because true intimacy is knowledge of the other. The Creator knows His creation better than we can understand ourselves. He designed you to be beloved by him for all eternity. How delightful it is to be known by God. When you define yourself first and foremost as beloved, nothing can shake you. After college, I joined the Dominican Sisters for a while. And when you join the Sisters, you, anyone who joins a religious order says, I'm giving up everything for God. And that's true. You really do like sell everything. You close all these various accounts. It's actually a pain, but you do it all for God. (laughs) Um, It's hard to close every online account you have. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But I did it, and what you don't talk about, though, is that although you give up everything worldly for God, you gain a ton. I gained a hundred plus sisters, I gained an 800 year old tradition, and an identity as a Dominican sister. So when I began to sense that God was calling me to leave, that was pretty scary because I once again had this identity Um, and I thought to myself oh no (laughs) Um, if I leave I don't have anything worldly and I won't have this identity either and so it was actually more terrifying to think about leaving than to enter because I knew that if I left I I couldn't define myself as a student I wasn't going to be a sister I wasn't going to have a job but I did leave because I knew it was God's will And I can tell you, there were never more joyful weeks in my life than the weeks after I left. And the reason was not because I was like, oh yeah, I can drive a car and go wherever I want. No, it was not that. It was because my only identity was beloved of God. Again, I didn't have, I was no longer a sister, I wasn't a student, I didn't have a job, and I had given away all my stuff. And so my only identity was beloved. And when that's how you primarily identify yourself, God has a lot of room to work. Because you're open, you don't have any distractions, you can listen to him, your priorities are in order. And then two weeks later, I got a job and it was a lot more difficult. (laughs) But when you identify yourself primarily as beloved, nothing can shake you because no one can take that from you. And that's why St. Teresa of Avila could say, Let nothing disturb you, nothing frighten you. All things are passing, God is unchanging. Patience gains all, nothing is lacking to those who have God. God alone is sufficient. When you know without a doubt that God loves you, unconditionally and eternally, then you can trust him more completely and abandon yourself to his will. I cannot promise you that this study will necessarily heal every wound in your life that if you have some sort of physical ailment, suddenly it will be gone from the words I'm going to say. I don't have that kind of power. But what I can promise you is that it will bring you closer to God and his will, which will, in time, make any suffering you have less. And that's the truth. (laughs) When we unite our will to Jesus, our divine bridegroom, he takes the weight upon his shoulders. These shoulders that died on the cross for us, And when Jesus takes that weight upon his shoulders, then you can know that no matter what, you're not alone. That Jesus is carrying that, that weight with you and for you, and that he desires for you to be healed. But in the meantime, if you still have to suffer with something, he's carrying that cross with you. God never wanted us to suffer. He created the world good, but due to the fall, sin, suffering, and death entered the world. Yet, as we will see, death does not have the last word. In Genesis 3.15, God begins his rescue plan to reclaim his bride, us, the people of God, for his own. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Spoiler alert, this prophecy was fulfilled at the cross. Now Jesus has gone before us in suffering and death and has won the victory of sin and pain through his resurrection. So let's pray for healing through the power of Christ's cross throughout this study. Finally, I'd like to touch on Exodus. You read the story of Moses and the Israelites' escape, or Exodus, that's what the word means, from Egypt. Moses, just like Simba, had to rediscover his identity, and once he did, he was able to do great things for God. Yet... Did you catch when you read, why did God free the Israelites? So that they could worship him. It says in Exodus 5.1, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go so that they may worship me in the wilderness. True freedom, true healing, is not the ability to do whatever we want. It's the ability to do what we were made to do. At Family Faith Night, I asked the families, what would happen if I tried to pound a nail into the wall with a vase? Or if I tried to hold a flower with a hammer? And one of the little kids raised his hand and I gave him the microphone and he said, that's ridiculous. (laughs) And I said, you're right, it is ridiculous. And the reason it's ridiculous is that a vase was not made to pound a nail in the wall and a hammer was not made to hold a flower. In the same way, when humans try to function in the way that we were not made, it's ridiculous. So we should try to function in the way that we were made. God wants you to thrive. He does not want you to be used. As Sister Miriam said, false freedom may be disguised as progress, choice, or freedom, but the fruit is always the same, more brokenness. That's why the Catechism says, the more one does what is good the freer one becomes. There is no true freedom except in the service of what is good and just. The choice to disobey and do evil is an abuse of freedom and leads to the slavery of sin. Just like the Israelites, when God sets us free from the bondage of the wounds in our lives, it's not to do whatever you want. God wants true freedom for you. He wants you to live a life full of meaning and purpose. And remember that this life is all about union with God. It's about that relationship. And it's why he freed the Israelites. In Egypt, they couldn't worship him. And in addition to all their physical suffering, there was a lot of emotional, spiritual suffering because they couldn't worship God. Then when they were freed, then they were able to dance and sing and to (coughs) worship him in the wilderness. I like this saying, Lord help me to love you more than I love your gifts. Sometimes we treat God kind of like a vending machine where we only ever pray to ask for what we want or what we want for other people. But this isn't quite right. It's, it's kind of, it's good to pray but if you only ever pray in that way, you're kind of using God. You love his gifts more than you'd necessarily love him. And that's okay. But one of the ways to heal in the innermost core of your being is to begin to pray to love God more than you love his gifts. To then thank him for what he's given you. To to praise him simply for who he is. And when we develop this more full relationship, then we're able to heal in our entire being. It's then that you go back to your core identity as the beloved. So finally, um, this week is kind of about detox. It's about um, letting go of all that the world says that we are and about reclaiming our identity as beloved. And I promise you that if you take the time to, to just think about who am I this week, I, I'm the beloved of God, that it, it will be fruitful and it will bring healing in your life, probably in ways that you don't even know you need healing. And when you recognize God's loving mercy towards you, it's also gonna be easier to forgive others. When you see the priceless worth that you have in the eyes of God, it's also gonna be harder to use others. And it's gonna be harder when you see your priceless worth to believe the lies others tell you about yourself. When you ponder the way Christ suffered well for us on the cross, you'll be able to use your physical suffering for the benefit of God. Bolton Sheen used to say that hospitals are full of wasted suffering. Why? Because so many people were suffering without offering it to God. and offering our suffering to God has power. Now you might be saying, "Oh, the old offer it up. Uh, I don't want to offer it up, but do it once again and still pray for healing. Do both. pray for healing and offer it up. because why do we want to waste suffering? If we don't. Also... Oftentimes, even when I have little sufferings, I offer it up. So for example, if I have a headache, I'll offer that up for someone on my mind. Or, I don't know, let's see. I slammed my hand in a door last week trying to put a dog fence in, and I offered it up so that the dog fence might work. (laughs) Which is a pretty low level offering it up. (laughs) But it works. (laughs) The fence works. (laughs) And also my headaches, lesson every time I offer it up and when I just moan in my own misery it doesn't help (laughs) finally remember nothing is worth your peace it's easier said than done but in all matters of healing nothing is worth your peace we can remember what we read in the scripture today the Lord will fight for you you have only to keep still We don't want to repeat the sin of Adam and Eve when they didn't trust that God had their best interest at heart. We need to continually pray, Jesus, I trust in you. Jesus, give me your trust. Jesus, I trust in you. As Sister Miriam puts it, we must ever deeply come to know the beauty of who we are, women and men, in the secure plan of God. And I love that she adds the word secure, because sometimes What's the phrase? The best laid plans can fail or something like that? Sometimes I think we think that with God. We, we try to control what's going on because we don't exactly trust Him. But Sister Miriam points out, God's plan is secure. We can truly trust Him. You, by your very being, made in the image and likeness of God, are worth His love. You are good and God desires your good. And you're not worth His love because of anything you've done, but because you simply are made and created by love for love.